BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Guy Marzarati, in this week for Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we have a twofer, end of session download with an assemblywoman who made national headlines this week, and a conversation with a man who spent years in prison for a murder he didn't commit, but is now endorsing the prosecutor who sent him there. That's right. We'll talk to Jamal Trulove about why he threw his support behind Kamala Harris and, of course, Joe Biden. But uh, as well as that incredible film, he starred in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. But first, Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks, Wicks is here now. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I love you guys' show. So you had quite the week. Um, I mean, all 120 ma- uh, members of the legislature, I guess, had some sort of week. But Yours was particularly interesting to us because um, a tweet you put out with you holding your three-week-old baby in a, uh, I don't know, was that an Ergo or a Baby Bjorn? Well, f- four, four weeks old. Four um, weeks old. And, and it was Baby Bjorn, yep. Baby Bjorn. So you were in the state capitol with your newborn baby. Um, you had been de- denied a request to vote by proxy. Um, this is a system only sort of a nascent system being set up because of the COVID pandemic. Can you... Talk about, like, go back a little bit, talk about your week. I mean, when did you realize that you were going to have to essentially put your family at risk to do your job um, and vote on these critical end of session bills this week? Yeah, it was um, last Friday, and I knew Sunday and Monday we'd be voting on the sort of end of session stuff. And as you all know, at midnight on the 31st, uh, the bills turn into pumpkins and die for the year. So there's going to be a lot of stuff coming through the last couple days here. I thought I was going to be able to proxy vote for a little while um, and then was told, actually, I don't qualify. Um, and so I'd actually told colleagues I'd be voting on their bills. And I knew we had the plastics bill, the family leave bill, the housing bill, the evictions um, bill. So there's a lot of tough bills coming up. And I care about those issues, you know, and my district cares about them tremendously. Um, so over the weekend, I basically had to decide, do I just stay home with my my four week old and continue to nurse her every two or three hours and be a mom and kind of call it a day and continue to stay on leave? Um, or do I schlep to the Capitol? And if I do, do I bring her with me? Um, and so my husband and I talked about it over the weekend and I ultimately decided to bring her with me because we're nursing. Um, and she's been with me every single day since she was born. And obviously the 10 months prior to that inside of me. So, um, so we decided to bring her with me. And so I, that Monday morning, I packed up all the accoutrement for a, uh, eight pound little girl and which is vast as, as anyone knows, um, and drove up to, um, to Sacramento and was, you know, there all day and, and late into the night um, with my daughter. 
I mean, how worried were you uh, before we get into the debate over proxy voting and, and some of the bills, but just about your safety, her safety? I mean, the reason proxy voting had been set up at all was because of COVID-19 for people who were high risk. Um, I think being pregnant could have qualified for that. I feel like being uh, having being postpartum just for you and then obviously bringing an infant who is has no immunity really to anything. I was very worried about it. I continue to be worried about it, you know, and I had had a C-section as well. So recovering from that. um, And that's why I asked for a proxy vote, you know, is I'm post C-section. She's four weeks old. Her immune system, she hasn't had her vaccines yet. Um, Obviously, there's not one for COVID, but like all the other things as well that you don't want to expose your your infant to. Um, And so we also decided I would spend the majority of my time in my office. I didn't want to be on the floor. There's about any given moment, there's about 100 people on the floor for hours on end, breathing the same kind of air. And I I was like, I don't want to do that. So I spent the majority of my time in my office. And I really only came down a couple times, Mm. one of which was when I spoke um, and was very quick in and out when I was there. And I I had her covered up because I didn't want like people breathing droplets on her. And, you know, and I know that that it can't really guard that much on the aerosol front, but like I was trying to do anything I could to sort of, you know, keep it as safe as I possibly could. Yeah. Now the speaker, Anthony Renan has apologized uh, after this incident, but he didn't really address how rules are going to change. This could still be an issue when the legislature returns. Um, You know, COVID is not going away anytime soon. Generally when it comes to this remote voting and then more specifically how the legislature is dealing with working parents, you know, what do you think needs to change? Well, we've had a lot. I've, a, I've spoken to the speaker about this quite a bit and have been talking to him throughout all of this, you know, um, and I think he's committed to and certainly I am to revisiting um, the remote participation policy that we have. Um, and I think there's a separate conversation around um, what are kind of workplace flexibility for parents. And it's sort of a newer thing. And frankly, I mean, 30, 40 years ago, the body looked very different. Now you have, I've got two young ones. Rebecca bauer has little kids. Jesse Gabriel just had a little boy about a month before me. Sabrina Cervantes had triplets last year. You know, Monique Lamone is pregnant. She's going to be over in the Senate, you know. So I think it's a newer thing to have younger parents there, um, which is very exciting. And I think the body needs to evolve. And we need to figure out, and I think there's a question on the table, like, you know, should part of maternity leave be remote participation so that I as a legislator legislator can still vote for bills that my constituents care about while I take leave or are some or or do we not do that because we should respect that leave you know Mm. and so I think those are or do we make it an option for legislators right Mm. so I think there's a lot of questions that need to be um, fleshed out I think this moment will will um, allow for that. But I think the bigger issue, frankly, and this is why I think this issue went so, the, the sort of image of me with my daughter on the floor went so viral, is that that is every working mother across this country, you know, who's experienced that moment where you're, you're trying to like feed your kid and your other kid's crying and the phone's ringing and dinner's burning and whatever, or you've got to get to a meeting and they're sick and you're just struggling with all these things. And I think especially right now with COVID-19 where you have you know, parents competing with their kids for, you know, the computer to do Zoom just as learning. And I mean, it, the world is madness right now. And the stress parents are under is enormous. And we're seeing increase in child abuse. I mean, all kinds of things. Right. And so I think that's why that image of me speaking on the floor of struggling with like my mask and her and the blanket. And she's crying and I'm talking and I'm pleading and then I'm running out saying I'm going to go, you know, breastfeed, my, finish breastfeeding my kid. I think spoke to people because everyone's experienced that. And I will say it's even worse for low income communities who don't have the the financial resources for it and all these other things. And particularly, you know, women of color. And so these are the things we need to look at coming out of this. I mean, yeah, because 
you were lucky enough i mean lucky being in yeah, air quotes no, because that you could bring her at all right. even if it's unsafe i mean i do want to mention actually we had her on our show i think last year you know the first person to ever give birth while serving as state lawmaker was jackie spear in california yeah, um, right. and she yeah. had to fight for everything but i want to ask you because there was this kind of like split screen weirdness happening as you were on the floor, we had almost the entire Senate Republican caucus voting remotely because one of their members had test positive for COVID and apparently they had not followed social distancing guidelines and most of the caucus had been together. Um, and at the same time, as you mentioned, I mean, this is a progressive, democratically run legislature. You guys are voting on family leave policies for private businesses. Like, I don't, does it feel hypocritical that, that, this is all happening kind of in the same time? Well, you know, on, on the Senate piece, you know, they had their own process that, that, you know, the pro tem had put forth. We had our own process for remote participation. Again, I think coming out of this, there's going to be a lot of lessons learned on both sides of how do we actually put forth flexible, like, ability to actually participate. And, and really, it's also a continuity of government question. And it's not just about COVID. If there's wildfires and earthquakes, like, we have to be able to have our government continue to function. So I think there's going to be more coming out of that. But they had a separate process that we that we didn't have. So I think there'll be more conversations. You know, um, on, the, on the other piece of it, uh, sorry, what was the other question? Oh, just about the idea that, like, the legislature is so oh, reticent yeah. to change at the same time as they're happy to right. mandate that private businesses well, do. Right. And, 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 right. And sorry. And we need to model the behavior that we want to see of people. You know, we need to we need to model that behavior. But we also have to take those tough votes to allow for right. family leave. The fact that family leave passed by 41 votes, you know, I one mean, vote, I really. There, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Passed by one yeah. vote. Yeah. Passed by one vote. Right. You need 41 votes to pass. Right. Um, you know, it should be easier than that. You know, and, and I, I pressed the green button holding my daughter in my arms, you know, on that bill. And, and that's part of the reason I came to the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, had I not been there, would we have gotten it over the line? Maybe, but we might not have, you know. And so we have to both, I think, push for those types of policies, but also have them within our own body as well. And not just for members, but for staff. We also want to talk a little bit about the bills that were on the floor as this was all going on. You mentioned the, the leave bill. You also went to the floor to vote for a bill uh, regarding housing density, legalizing duplexes throughout the state. That bill kind of ran out of time and there was a lot of back and forth between the two houses. Um, I guess, you know, what's your take on how the process played out in those last few hours? As far as there was a lot of high profile bills, whether on housing or criminal justice, where it kind of seemed as if either intra-party or sorry, intra-house feuds kind of got in the way and there wasn't the kind of management of the floor that allowed those issues to actually make it to the finish line. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of it is this year has been insane with COVID. And, you know, we were out of session for, I don't know what it was, two months. And so we were missing those kind of key um, time to actually flush your bill out. The bills go through these huge processes. They go through multiple committees, multiple floor votes. By the time they get to the end, they're much more kind of, I think, well developed and thought out. Um, and so we, that was truncated. That whole process was very truncated. So I think that was a piece of what was going on. You know, frankly, I was spending the majority of my time that day in my office, like breastfeeding my daughter and changing her diapers and burping her and then running down to the floor and voting. And like, I wasn't sort of in tune to like all of the sort of back and forth of what was happening in terms of what bills were coming up. Um, you know, and that's why when the, the bill, um, the housing bill that I spoke on came up, you know, we didn't know when it was going to come up. We knew it was close to midnight. We had to vote on that bill, get it done in our house and get it over to the Senate um, for, so that they could vote on it on concurrence and pass it before midnight. And I think it passed in our body like around, what, 1159 or 1158 or something. It wasn't fast enough to get it to the Senate. And so while the bill 
passed in the Senate and passed in the Assembly didn't make it back over to get voted in time. And so the bill died. And it was such a bummer. It was really, really such a bummer, you know, and I hope that like next year we can have, you know, and again, it's my first term, right? So I'm like fresh off the turnip truck here, right? Like in the legislature. So I'd never experienced an end of the second year end of session before this was my first one. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe they're always like this. Is it always this crazy when you have like COVID and like newborns on the floor? Maybe. you know. <laughs> <laughs> the pettiness is always there. Bit, yeah, the pettiness. <laughs> well, which brings yeah. me to another question. I mean, how much do you blame leadership, including the leader of your own house, Anthony Rendon? I mean, yes, you guys only have till midnight, but you had eight months prior to this. And it seems like everyone always waits till the last minute to leverage well, each other and the bills and that have these weird feuds that like, quite frankly, most Californians do not care about whether you're in the Senate or assembly they, or whether no. it's a Senate bill or an assembly bill. They don't care. They want stuff to get done. They want these, you know, they want us working for them and and, in a way that actually passes legislation. Absolutely. And that's what they should demand of us. Um, You know, again, it was my first time in ending the second year. And so for me personally, you know, I had I got seven bills to the governor's desk um, this year and I was very intentional about having none of them come up on Monday. You know, I wanted everything to be done as far in advance as possible because what ends up happening inevitably is this last day becomes this kind of like crazy day where, and especially when you have these really tough votes where members are getting worked by all these different sort of entities. For me, I just didn't want to get caught up in any of that. So I was like, let's get all of our bills out on Sunday. Um, and I had colleagues present for me because I was home on leave. Um, and there were, and you know, some of the, the leadership was like, Oh, do you want us to save your bills for, for Monday so that you can present them yourself? I'm like, Nope. And I'm going to have my newborn with me. I don't want to be on that floor. I want those bills out. I want them off to the governor's desk. So, so just from my own perspective, I tried to get everything done prior because I knew it was just going to be crazy on, on Monday. All right. Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks, we will let you get back to your family. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks so much. <laughs> Good to see you guys. And we're going to go to break in a second. But Marisa, before we do, I do want to ask you about a big exclusive interview you had uh, this week from Calusa County, none other than the <laughs> former governor, Jerry Brown, to talk about upcoming criminal justice measure uh, on the November ballot. Proposition 20, he's finally dipping into this war chest that he has to oppose um, some of these rollbacks on criminal justice. You know, what was what did you hear from him and kind of what was his motivation in making this uh, donation now? Yeah, I mean, we've been kind of waiting to see if he would do this and expecting that he might. But, um, you know, Prop 20 has been put on by some police and prosecutors. It would roll back a bunch of the reforms that both voters and lawmakers have put into place to help kind of lower the prison and jail population in California. And they say give people a chance at rehabilitation and redemption. Um, and so, yeah, news, uh, news, I'm sorry, and slip. Brown um, is coming out of retirement a little bit. He's got almost $15 million still in his 2014 Uh, campaign account. He's putting a million of that into defeating Prop 20. He says that he feels like um, voters will kind of see this for what it is. He actually accused DAs and police of kind of having a personal interest in uh, keeping incarceration high to keep their jobs or or he said or maybe they just don't believe that people can change. But, um, you know, he was Jerry. He was a little grumpy. He was uh, (laughs) definitely straight to the point. And um, he seems really confident guy that they're going to be able to um, defeat this and kind of keep a lot of those reforms that he helped champion. What's interesting is that, you know, you mentioned Prop 20 is really going after two separate pushes on criminal justice reform. There was the 2014 reforms to change sentencing and then this effort that Brown led in 2016 to change uh, rules around parole. 
Do you have a sense about the yes on 20 campaign? Are they focusing on more on the parole side of things, on the sentencing? Like, what's their message going into the fall? Yeah, I mean, they are actually really focusing on Prop 57, which was the one that uh, that Brown did right and and pr- push. And they, their message is, is, look, this promise that only nonviolent offenders would get early parole or the opportunity for early parole, because I think it's important to say there's no automatic release. They still go before this parole board. Um, and they, you know, like to... Basically, you just read the list. They say, you know, domestic violence, sex sex trafficking of a minor are not included on this list. Now, what the other side says is, yeah, but most of those people are not that's not the only thing they're in prison for. Right. And those that information is before the parole board. They're not just like going into this blind. So I think they are really attacking Brown's legacy specifically. And I think he would have probably defended it anyway. But I think that has definitely made him a little more fired up than we might have seen. Right. Well, we know no always starts out with an advantage over yes. And it (laughs) definitely seems even the yes folks in this campaign uh, acknowledge they're probably going to go into the fall being outspent. I think they will be outspent, and they're just hoping that voters are um, worried about violent crime. So we will see. We're going to take a short break now, Guy, and when we come back, we will be joined by actor Jamal Trulove. You are listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Guy Marzarati, and our guest today is Jamal Trulove. He's an actor, musician, and activist who spent six and a half years behind bars for a murder he did not commit. Jamal Trulove, welcome to The Breakdown. Hey, thank you for having me. I saw you jamming a little there. I think you might like... We, we got, like, that's like an endorsement from an actual musician guy. They like our music. Everybody <laughs> likes our music. Come on. I was about to start freestyling. <laughs> uh, like type vibe. So, Jamal, we really appreciate you being here. Um, as I mentioned, you were tried and convicted of murder in 2010 in San Francisco. Um, this was the killing of a young man at a public housing project where um, a, a friend of yours, actually. And from the, the start, you knew you were innocent of this um of this crime was there a moment when you realized that you were going to be paying for something that you did not commit um i fully realized it when i got uh when i got sentenced um didn't fully realize it even when i got convicted uh didn't fully realize it when you know i did my emotionary um uh, most for retrial before sentencing when I discovered Oliver Barcenas. But once I got um, once I got sentenced, you know, I realized I had, you know, I had a fight on my hands. 
Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, through this whole time, there was all these holes that started emerging in your case, right? There was a man who overheard police talking about you uh, with a witness, other informants telling police that you were innocent. Was this, you know, these little things that would pop up, was that providing you hope or making you think like, geez, this is even harder to bear? Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are the things that definitely provided me hope uh, to hope to get to the next point of my case. So as those things developed, every time one came around, I felt like, okay, this is what's going to be it. So that mm-hmm. ultimately proves my, proves my innocence or get, gets me back. And then um, then it didn't happen. And then it, 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 I'll get that same notion, feeling like it's about to happen. Then it don't happen again, uh, which ultimately – uh, towards the end of everything, it all ended up playing a big part in uh, bringing me home and and also my civil case. Yeah, I mean, we should say, I mean, this was everything from police officers essentially writing things down on the police report that weren't true, um, a, a prosecutor under Kamala Harris and then George Gascon, uh, an assistant prosecutor who essentially um, pushed this witness and, and gave her a lot of you know, support and money um, to say that you to ID you. Um, And eventually you do get out. The conviction is overturned by an appeals court. You won a judgment from San Francisco. None of the police officers were ever fired. The prosecutor still has a job. I mean, the people who have paid are the taxpayers here. And yet, given all of that, you are supporting Kamala Harris and the Joe Biden ticket for president. Why? Yeah, so um, it's not necessarily my support for, for, for Kamala nor is it that much more of my support for Biden because I really don't, uh, you know, agree with neither one of their pasts. Uh, it's more so the development of them and where they're going. And I think that they're more, uh, they're more uh, candidates that, that uh, will listen and hopefully get us to a point where we could have uh, an unapologetic black agenda here in America. Donald Trump obviously is, you know, is Donald Trump. There's no haggling with him at all. Um, a lot of this is, uh, racism that's going on in this country today. Um, people do credit him for bringing it out, which we've been experiencing it. So those are some pluses. And that's why some people, uh, uh, specifically black people, uh, will rather him actually stay in because it's going to keep on bringing out all the uh, the nuances of racism uh, in this country so we could keep on talking about it as bad as it is. Uh, and with Democrats being in office, uh, typically people are looking at it like, you know, they're trying to have politics and things go the same way that they have been going for the past, you know, uh, 100, you know, 400 years. Um, so, but me... I just know like what we what we've been going through right now, we just want it to stop. We just want it to stop. We want people to listen to us uh, much more. And I believe the Democratic Party in general will uh, listen to us that much more than what the Republican Party uh, actually will. And uh, I'm not in a position to say that I'm going to hold my vote back and say I'm not going to vote or vote for just a, a party that has no opportunity to, to actually win the election. So uh, me going for, you know, the, the Biden-Harris card is be, you know, just 
me going to say I'm going to vote and I'm going to vote this way. I'm not going to vote that way. It hopes to start the conversation of if I am going this way, these are the things that we uh, we would like to ultimately see when it comes to you know, changing uh, legislation unapologetically for black people uh, here in America. Uh, and um, also giving people opportunity to say who they're gonna vote for. You know, I wanna teach, you know, the youth uh, that they have an opportunity to, to, to vote in the future, to use the vote, not to say that your vote doesn't count, not to say that you sit, you sit out of, of an election uh, because you know, that's what ultimately happened four years ago where people, you know, sat out the election, which ultimately got Donald Trump to where he is uh, now. Now, I've heard you talk about the day you were convicted. Kamala Harris, who was then district attorney, was in the courtroom. I'm wondering, has she ever reached out to her, to you, anybody in that office reached out to you just to apologize? And at this point, would it mean anything to you if they did? Well, I mean, I believe it. I, it'll be huge. I mean, just that. I mean, that office right now is being ran by Chase Boudin, you know, and, you know, I'm a good friend of mine. I campaigned for Chase Boudin. He is what reform is today. Um, he is, you know, to me, um, you know, our Bernie Sanders candidate here in San Francisco, you know, uh, when it comes down to reform, uh, reforming this, this system. But pertaining to Kamala's um, office in those times, uh, hey, look, Linda Allen, she she ran the, the case back again. So, you know, I don't think there's any po- apologies coming from uh, that side. And, you know, you let them tell it, I got away with murder. Um, and they show no type of reconciliation or take no type of, you know, no no type of responsibility at all of what actually happened. So it if if it was mentioned by by uh, uh, Kamala, uh, yes, absolutely, and and it's not only me. There's other people that you know I've I, I'm um, vouching for and and bringing home you know, that has also fell under the watch of uh, uh, of Kamala. But uh, <clears throat> will I will I let uh, my situation or someone's past? you know, hinder where we're going in this country. Um, I don't think my situation is big, is as is, is big as this election. Like, yeah, I mean, because you, in addition to uh, the the musician and acting and, and all those other things you're doing have been really out here on protesting, um, helping lead some of the Black Lives Matter protests. And, you know, we're seeing those protests being used in this campaign against the left to say, oh, this is lawlessness. This is all these things. I'm just curious, like, do you think that 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 folks you're talking to who are within that community understand the point you're making about the fact that, like, you know, well, you basically don't make the perfect enemy of the good? Um, and I mean, how hopeful are you that given the sort of positions that Biden and Harris are taking that they're going to get, especially young black activists, to the polls at all. Yeah, look, I hear in the streets and when I'm out in these protests that people are not voting. 
And that's what people, and that, and that's not only black people. That's anybody that comes out. And I've been at protests, no, done, done spoke at protests, and led protests, and even on my social media. And you know, I tell them like, look, I'm uh, the best way I can lead is to say, you know, uh, use your voice, use your voice, even if you, even if you, you're a Trump supporter, you know, say that, say why you're voting for Trump, you know, and, and vocalize it so people could start getting a grasp of how this election ultimately is gonna gonna look right you mentioned the protest i think the last time i talked to you was at the george floyd protests uh, at the end of may beginning of june you've also been out recently uh there's been some actions going on in oakland following the shooting of jacob blake just talk to us a little bit about what you've seen as the protests have taken place uh this summer in the bay area any difference you notice from what was going on a few months ago to now and kind of how you see that evolving what george floyd was in that time when that happened coming right after the pandemic and the lockdown the um the media the news forced it on everybody uh to actually see and i think that had a lot of the protests had to do with a lot of people just finally seeing it to uh, because people had it has been normalized the the numbers of you know african americans that have been being killed you know and wrongfully done by the by the police and no police officers being charged people wanted to get out for one they've been locked in for so long now it's time to get out so yeah it exploded and then you get a, a jacob blake and it it one ups that like you know it's like it, and and it's both you know tragedy is, is is messed up but then you see this officer shoot this black man you know seven times in the back you know with with, with no threat at all and you would think that people will get right back out there again in the same magnitude that they did uh, when you see George Floyd you know get get choked out. Uh, uh, with the knee on his neck and to be honest I mean I, I believe that you know that's almost where we got to get to again because it, it the, the message is not clear Jamal True Love thanks for joining thank us thank you so much uh, thank you for having me and that's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Guy Marzarati. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Guy Marzarati. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at M Lagos. Thanks for joining us. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night. 
knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.